Hey, what's up? What's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk for another week here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host on the road covering the team in New York today is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drancer, what's going on, man? I'm doing well, and I'm feeling good about my sound quality today. I'm pretty sure this is going to work, Jamie. You sound good. You sound yeah. good. This is exciting. Yeah, feel good. Yeah. I'm excited. Canberra personally involved. Program director Canberra personally <laughs> involved in getting this set up. So his reputation is on the line more than anything else here. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we've really upped the the stakes for this broadcast (laughs) now. No, you know what? I'm also excited because, like, genuinely, what we saw, what I saw live Mm -hmm. in Newark on Saturday night has me really interested in in what we might see tonight with the same forward lineup, Zadorov back in, the Canucks getting... There's sort of six top defensemen into the lineup at the same time, right? This is the way they played, the way they dominated play against the Devils has piqued my curiosity in a way that, you know, even them stacking wins on wins in the first few months of the year didn't simply because of the way that they were able to demolish the New Jersey Devils territorially. Now, granted, it's a New Jersey Devils team missing a ton of pieces. Like, the takeaway from that given the, the the Jack Hughes missed his first game, might be, oh boy, the Devils might be in trouble, mm. right? We'll know a lot more after tonight, given how solid the Rangers are as competition. But, I mean, putting Miller, Pedersen, Besser back together, albeit in a slightly reconfigured form, there's a real chance that's added a totally new gear to what this team can do at 5-on-5. Five five. If that's sticky, I think there's an awful lot that we may be reassessing in 10 or 15 games time. Yeah, it was just one game, but there's so much to talk to from it to look ahead to tonight's game as well. So let's get right into it. Let's do it. The whiteboard for today, January 8th. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? It's your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks, starting with the headlines, as you alluded to, Drancer. The Canucks beat the Devils 6-4 in a very, very impressive performance on Saturday. More impressive than I think the final scoreline indicates, especially when you think it was uh, an empty net goal towards the end of the game there that makes it a two-goal deficit. And there's a lot to get into from that game, you know, starting with just the overall team performance, Carson Soucy's return. But really, where we have to start, you already addressed it, is the uh, the the reunion of the lotto line, although, as you said, Patterson eh. playing explicitly on the wing. <laughs> I know, I know, yada, yada, yada. Whatever, no, it's no, those no. three guys. Let, let me let me get into it quickly. So here, here's how it happened, right? The line's together, and I'm going through and quickly taking notes because I'm an attendance taker, right? Like when mm. I'm watching warm-ups, I'm taking attendance. And I turn around, and I say to John Shorthouse, who will – obviously has no problem calling them the lotto line because he's far more normal than me, right? He's like a normal amount of flexible. Um, And I'm like, I'm like, is that the lotto line? And he's like, no, Pedersen's on the wing. And I'm like, you're right. If If it's from my perspective as like guy who takes attendance, guy who 
tweets the lines, right? Like guy who tracks this stuff very closely, spreadsheets on a galore on how they start games in, in terms of their lines. If I'm going to find a nickname to be useful, it needs to clearly denote left wing, center, right wing, right? Like a, a line nickname's not helpful to me if it's like, it's the lotto line with Miller at center. It's like, well, I might as well just say Patterson, Miller, Besser. <laughs> so that's more than anything why I decided, you know what? I don't think this is the lotto line, even if it is the same more or less you know what? from the player's perspective and not inaccurate if fans want to use the nickname. I'm I was gonna going say, to say, I think you're losing this battle. <laughs> I think you're losing this battle because oh, we dude, it's, it's such an easy shorthand. We can't come up with a new one. We're just no, going to say the not, lotto line. It's not clear. It's not clear, so it's not useful shorthand. Yeah, right? it is, though, because it's the three players. It's the three players, right? But they're not predicting. It's If Pedersen's <laughs> taking line rushes at left wing, for me, I can't just be like lotto line and have everyone know what it means. I think you can. I think you can. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of confusion on that point. Anyways, well, I don't want to. I don't want to. First of all, I love that you brought Shorty in on your side of the argument. Uh, no, no, no. Shorty's there. totally not on my. That's just where it triggered for me. I was like, you're right. It's not the lotto line. Now it is. Like Shorty doesn't care. Yeah. Um. He's again a normal, a normal person. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not useful for me to think about it that way. So I'm not going to. All right. Well, anyways, I have. I'm just going to keep calling it that. Because yeah, that's, that's what fine. everyone's going to call it—a normal conversation. Okay. Good. We're, I'm not. Okay. And, the, and by the way, by the way, because I, I also saw, um, yeah, well, I was in the scrum, but Ian McIntyre, you know, did the positional thing yep. and then uh, cited JT. You know who's never going to call it the lotto line? The player. JT Miller. That's fine. JT Miller. I don't yeah. have a problem with that. No, for sure. Because a, a line nickname is something affectionate for the fans. Yep. And that's why, like, I don't think it's inaccurate to call it the lotto line, but to sort of be like, and it's the lotto line to everybody. It's like, it's not. It's not the lotto line to anyone who plays for the team. Um, and it's not the lotto line for me because I have to focus on who's playing where. And, okay. and the lotto line to me means Pedersen at center. The right. lotto line reunited for my purposes, for the purposes of our listeners. Pedersen, Miller, and Pedersen, Besser Miller, playing Besser. together again. Playing on a line. Starting I'm going to wear you down, man. You're not no, going to use lotto you're line because you're, you're just going to be like, oh, man. Oh, my gosh. too annoying. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, they're back starting on a line together for the first time in a long time. I think the first time this season, right? We've seen them out there for shifts but not starting the game together. And just it's hard, almost hard to quantify just the instant results. And I know it was 0-0 after 20 minutes. They did have the disallowed goal uh, early in the first period, but just – the instant chemistry on display, the instant production, the instant, you know, controlling play, they were able, the way they were able to do. And then you look at the stat sheet at the end of the game and they're all piling up the points. And there's just, you know, first of all, and I said this on Twitter, like what a treat to watch those guys work together again, right? The way they're able to do and with the chemistry that they have together. I thought it was really obvious just the, you know, Pedersen and Miller, their skill sets complement each other so well. And I think in particular, the freedom for both of them and especially Pedersen to do a little bit more work off of the puck right because he doesn't have to be the only guy who can do a lot of the high skill work on the puck so he's able to get into more of those dangerous areas and then there's still a really dangerous passer in JT Miller who can get him the puck in those dangerous areas it was just such a perfect proof of concept about why that trio can work really well together and then as you said you know beyond just that and kind of the aesthetic parts of it and how it worked the fact that they it feels like, and based on what we've seen in the past and what we saw in that New Jersey game, with that trio together at the top of the lineup, 
really they look like they can go toe-to-toe with any first line in the NHL. And that's been something that's been missing. You know, we've talked a lot about as much as the team was winning games when they had to go up against, you know, Jack Eichel and Mark Stone or some of the other top uh, combinations and trios in the NHL, Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, that was a problem sometimes. And I think there's much, a lot of reason to believe that keeping the lot of line together helps you solve that problem in a really significant and meaningful way for this team. Potentially. We, we need to see what it looks like, but there there's a real chance that there's another gear that this team has five on five if they load up their top line like this. Although Rick Tockett remains super noncommittal about it. I, I want to add this. You know, it wasn't just Besser, Patterson, Miller together. It was that they were deployed with a fair amount of discipline, as Miller often has been, with Hughes and Hironic mm-hmm. in a self-match but by Tockett and Adam Foote. And... Those five guys on the ice together were impossible to break out against. It's like, outrageous. It, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, we were 30 minutes into the game before the Hughes Heronic pair was on the ice for a shot attempt against. Not a shot, a shot attempt. I mean, it, it was a level of control. It, it, it was a level of control that if the club had maintained it, what they did in the first 35 minutes for the latter 25, it, it truly would have been the most lopsided territorial game of the year by any team in the NHL. Like, we're talking 86% control uh, of expected goals, you know, 75-plus percent control of shot attempts. I mean, we're not talking you get – the Canucks get two, their opponent gets one. We're talking three to one, like a really crooked margin. And again, that might be a New Jersey Devils problem. Um, it might be a tired team problem. We don't know yet. We need to let the sample expand. But it looked really good. And it wasn't just, for me anyway, the on-puck stuff. It was how hard they were to break out against. Mm. It was sort of the simplicity, like the blue-collar nature of the game. I mean, I know the Besser, like, backhand sauce to Pedersen will sort of grab the attention. But it, it was the traffic. It was the control. Like, it, it was the black and blue style that that line was able to play in complementing one another effectively away from the puck that just effectively suffocated a Devils team that tends to get moving pretty effectively. So, I really, like, I was genuinely excited by what I saw from a, like, hockey experimentation standpoint. And it's probably the first time all season where I looked at this club and thought, oh boy, there might be there might be a backbone here beyond what we've seen yet. Like, there might be the ability to really raise this group's ceiling if this keeps working, and obviously, if lines lower down the lineup, and especially that suitor mikheyev kuzmenko mm-hmm. line, can continue to at least, like, play, a, play level. And they did more than that on Saturday, but they're, they're going to need to at least come out, you know, 50-50, uh, in terms of goal differential for this to really work. Yeah, and a couple things there. I mean, you used the phrase kind of raising the ceiling, and that's what it feels like. It feels like a move that could, again, it's one game. And, you know, on the point about the Devils missing players and playing their third and four nights in back-to-back, that's all fair context. But the performance was so impressive that even after – it was so dominant that even after you account for all of those things – it was still a really impressive performance. You know what I mean? It's like those factors don't eliminate – they don't mean you can't be impressed with the Canucks. It's context. But if you dominate like that, a tired team missing pieces, it's still really impressive that you were able to dominate them uh, to that level. And, you know, the other point is from that game, look, look, we're going to talk about the lotto line. That's going to be the topic of conversation for everyone, you know, the morning show, everyone – but that wasn't a one-line performance, right? The rest of the lines held up their end of the bargain. I thought, you know, you mentioned the suitor uh, with Mikhaev and Kuzmenko. The Bluger-Joshua Garland line had their moments. I thought even the fourth line had their moments and spent some time 
in the offensive zone. And that's a big part of it, right? Because as much as you want to have that absolutely dominant unit at the top of your lineup, there's only so much you can give up everywhere else in your lineup. And at least based on that one game performance, they had something that, okay, we can load up at the top and still at least survive and hold our own uh, with the other lines that are out there. And I think that's going to be really important going forward too. Yeah. And the, the Garland, the fact that this Garland, Joshua, um, Bluger line controls play the way they do gives you sort of some, um, like some safety net when you decide to slim out your lineup like this, mm. go a little more top heavy as opposed to a fatter type of lineup. Which I think philosophically, just from hearing him talk about it, I think Tockett would prefer all things being equal. But man, this looked like a nuke. Like this yeah. looked like a nuke that the Canucks might suddenly have in their arsenal. Uh, that I sort of didn't see coming, didn't account for in my own analysis. I I'm just really excited to see what it looks like as the sample expands because I think it might look great. Um, other other big item from today, Zadorov missed the game against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, so we haven't seen this look yet from the Canucks, but they took line rushes at Madison Square Garden this morning. Hughes and Hironik, obviously. Susie back with Myers. And then Zadorov and Ian Cole together, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Cole being the guy playing the right side. Now, Cole and Zadorov have played together before for the Colorado Avalanche a few years ago, before the pandemic, before Zadorov was dealt to Calgary, where he found success on a, on a pair with Eric Goodbranson, of all people. But they spent 400 minutes together in the 2019-20 season. So a reunion of sorts for Cole and Zadorov. And that line was pretty effective, like 51.6% of shot attempts, plus nine, 19 goals for, 10 goals against, um, you know, uh, uh, above 50% in, in terms of the expected goal clip for that pair. So it, it's worked in the past. Like, this is a fresh pair to us, but it, 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 there's right. a familiarity there between the players. And, and I think that's sort of an interesting wrinkle as we, as we watch this play out in real time tonight against a, a New York Rangers team that certainly can punish mistakes. Like, Vancouver's defense is going to need to be on point. Noah Juleson also draws out from the lineup, and, and that's worth noting here. Not just because Juleson's become a mainstay. Like, this is his first game as a, as a scratch since early November, right? A testament to how well he's played. But in particular, Juleson's been an ace for this Canucks team on the penalty kill, and this Rangers team does damage with the man advantage. So that's something to watch for tonight. We'll see what it looks like with Vancouver having their first choice top six in a game against, you know, the NHL's point percentage leaders, the New York Rangers. Yeah, and uh, on the lineup notes, no changes to the forward groups of a lot of lines stays together tonight in New York, and that was despite some, you know, Rick Tockett wasn't exactly saying, okay, we're going to keep these guys together for a while now. He was a little noncommittal after the game against New Jersey, but he is keeping them together tonight. No changes whatsoever to the forward group. And to your point about Zadorov coming back in, Juleson coming out, it does feel like one of the things to monitor, you know, really between now and the playoffs is how Adam Foote and Rick Tockett tinker with the defense pairings and what kind of chemistry they can generate, right? Because they had something pretty good going when it was Ian Cole and Noah Juleson and then Zadorov and Myers. But we also know that, as you said, these are their six most talented uh, defenders. It's not an ideal fit with the four lefties and the two righties in the mix. So I would expect to see, I like that they're starting with Zadorov and Cole who have that chemistry a little bit from playing together uh, in the past, but 
I would expect to see some different iterations of these guys because there's a bunch of guys who can play on the right side and the left side, right? There's, you know, Myers and Zadorov have played together now. You have different options that you can go to, and this is the starting look, but I think that's going to be something to monitor for a while here is how they kind of tinker and where they land on their ideal defense pairings uh, over the next few weeks and really, as I said, going into the playoffs. Um, that's the lineup note section. Also, Demko starting tonight in Madison Square Garden against the Rangers. For the broadsheet, I did just want to note, so the the big news around the NHL today, obviously from a contractual perspective, is William Nylander signing uh, officially an extension in Toronto. Eight years, 11.5 million AAV, full no-move clause for the duration of the con- uh, contract, also massive signing bonuses. So basically, this is not just eight years with a ton of money attached to a drance. This is also just an extremely player-friendly in the extra things, right? How it's structured, the bonuses, the no-move clause. And I think one takeaway is that stars clearly have a ton of leverage right now. Star-level players, because we can see the cap rise coming in the near mm. future. And I think that's put a player like Nylander, not just because he's having a phenomenal season on the ice, but because that's a reality now, he has even more leverage than he would have had, you know, a year ago, two years ago in the flat cap world. So that's one kind of Canucks takeaway, right? Obviously, with looming uh, negotiations, not just with Elias Pettersson, but also Philip Ronick, who's having a really good year uh, in the in the, on the horizon. And then the other thing, and this is a note similar to a lot of what we've heard, but I think it's always just worth including it and reiterating it. Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts, again, kind of addressing his point that this doesn't really affect the Nylander contract, doesn't really affect the Pedersen negotiations. And the quote that stood out to me uh, from Elliot Friedman was, he, meaning Pedersen, he has made it very clear he's not yet ready to talk contract with Vancouver. And I thought that's very similar to things we've heard from Friedman and in general on this story, but I thought that was maybe the most explicit. He's not ready to talk contract, right? The ball is in his court. He knows that. Everyone knows that. He is affirmatively making the decision that he's not ready uh, to talk contract with the Canucks. I think that's worth noting as it relates to the Nylander extension and then its ramifications for the Canucks as well. Yeah, look, we're going to enter about an 18-month period where I think when star players sign, we're going to have sticker shock, right? And and yep. with this Nylander contract, it's uh, as you said, it's not just the AAV, although it's huge, right? He's the second-highest-paid winger in the league now. Um but it's the fact that the you know signing bonuses are structured to make the deal effectively buyout proof. It's that you know thirty percent of the salary roughly is paid out in the first two years of the deal. Um, it's the full NMC, like it's everything. This is the farm. Yeah, Nylander got all of it, and that's what a player can demand in a world where hey, look, this contract's going to be out of date in eighteen months. Like you know, you want me for eight years? We have to account for. You know, the, the what's coming down the pike here in terms of the environment. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of contracts that have no relationship to what we've become accustomed to in the NHL system, which is this, like, predictable ceiling set by, like, the McDavid-Matthews-McKinnon tier, right? And, and everything sort of trickling down from that as a result of, you know, a half-decade plus of stagnant, stagnant cap growth. So we are going to have a lot of deals, I think over the next 18 months that come in and just look a little bit different than what we're used to. And I think that's going to prove challenging for analysis. To me, this contract's like the first star player who signed a contract. And when you look at sort of the language of the deal itself, it looks like the business realities coming, coming into the league with sort of, you know, two years of 
um, well, one next season where there's going to be like four million in cap growth, uh, uh, an even bigger escalator season thereafter. You know, it feels like that's being anticipated in the shape of this deal. And, and I do think that's challenging people in terms of how they're reacting to it. I still think it sets a floor for Elias Pettersson, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's really hard to justify how Pettersson couldn't demand more given that he plays a premium position, is younger, and has outscored Nylander over the course of their two careers. So 11.5 times 8 is like an absolute floor for Pettersson on a on an eight-year deal. deal. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the... I think that's sort of the the only real like comparable type takeaway to have from this. And the last one is, you know, at the end of the day, if you're signing a guy for a lot of money, make sure they're really good. Make sure they're really, <laughs> really good. Nylander's really good, right? Like, um, at the end of the day, these aren't the ones that kill you as much as like the the camp deal does, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the Reeves deal does. Um, those are the ones that I still think should worry teams a lot more. Uh, a world where you know, even even in a world where salaries inflate and Pedersen comes in at three times 14 million, like I think Canucks fans should exhale if that's an outcome here. And I know that's hard for us to wrap our brains around, but I do think that's where we're headed. Um, should HRR pace and, and sort of stimulate cap growth the way it's anticipated to over the next few years, uh, the way the league's hoping. Uh, we'll talk to Justin Cuthbert from uh, Fan 590 in Toronto a little later about the Nylander extension. It's just, I think, in general, kind of the landscape for star contracts in the NHL right now. Uh, quickly, as we get to wrap up the whiteboard here, the playoff forecast, Canucks, no surprise here, 96% chance to make the playoffs. But the more important number right now, Drancer, the Canucks, per Dom Lucision's model, now the favorites to win the Pacific Division with a 33% chance to do so. And look, I watch what the lotto line did and the team in general did on Saturday against the Devils. I see that they are now the favorites per that model to win the division. And again, my mind turns to, okay, it's time to seriously start thinking about taking a big swing and going for it. That's a conversation, but another time, but I think the later we get into the season and their odds are still really live to win the division, that has to become part of the consideration. Uh, Betting odds update from you going into tonight's game. Yeah, it's um, Canucks are and you know basically plus one forty. Uh, you can find them at priced anywhere from plus one twenty five to plus one fifty, depending on the book. Uh, so road dogs going into Madison Square Garden to face the New York Rangers tonight. Over under is set at six and a half, and given how good both of these teams can be on the power play, um, you know that that over looks interesting to me. Although sh- you know you don't want to bet the over with too much enthusiasm when it's just Sturkin and Demko. No, that's a little nervous. (laughs) Um, Some, some actually interesting movement on the gambling odds Uh, in particular, the the Pacific division, uh, you know, there's like a fair bit of variance across books here, Mm -hmm. but the Canucks are definitely moving ahead of Vegas consensus wise for the division winner odds. Uh, LA still favored, at a lot of books ahead of the Canucks, but it's extremely, extremely narrow, like plus 185 versus plus 190 or, um, you know, plus 135 versus plus 240. So Canucks ver- Pacific Division winner odds are definitely climbing here as they stay hot and as the Kings and Vegas struggle. One last one I just wanted to spotlight going into tonight is the Jack Adams um, futures market. Right now, Rick Talk, it's been a prohibitive favorite for a while. He's up to plus 185 on average, mm-hmm. uh, which is like very, very prohib- uh, a, a big favorite. 
his lead widening over the other coaches in the NHL. However, Peter Laviolette, the head coach of the New York Rangers, is second, plus 600, and that's the matchup tonight, which is why I wanted to note it. Uh, but yeah, Tockett's climbed you know, into, into where you can't even get two to one uh, if you're betting do, him to win coach of the year. Do you have in front of you, where's Torts? He's got to be plus third. Plus 650. He's, so plus he's, 650. So he's just behind Laviolette. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. No, and, no, and everyone else is 14 to yeah. 1 or more. Okay. Right? So it's like that That group of three is, is sort of the consensus most likely to be finalists with Tockett a pretty significant favorite over Laviolette and Tortorella. That's the whiteboard for today, January 8th. Uh, we're going to talk to Johnny Lazarus. Covers the NHL for Daily Faceoff and the Rangers specifically for the Blue Crew podcast. We'll talk to Johnny about yeah, chat, the Rangers. He chatted with Quinn Hughes today. Yes, so yeah, we'll, he was, uh, he was uh, we'll giving us the vibes it. report from uh, from Canucks practice today <laughs> on Twitter. So we'll get into that with Johnny, his impressions of the Canucks uh, and what's going on with the Rangers. That's up next right here. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.